Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Take three, along with Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. We're going to get this one right. You guys don't know about the past ones. Now you do. We're going to talk about college baseball as we do every Monday. And, Aaron, one of the things that you've been doing this year with our coverage is blogging every Friday and Saturday night uh, at the end of the week, uh, those weekend days of games, and kind of catching everybody up on the highlights. And uh, so if you come in Monday, if you're following what's going on on the, on the blog, you should have a pretty decent idea of what's going on when we uh, do this podcast on Mondays. So we're going to have to try to take it a little next level and really evaluate what's going on in every conference. So we're going to start off right at the top with the Southeastern Conference, Aaron, uh, where those three teams at the top of the SEC East remain ensconced, uh, three of our top four teams in the rankings. I think if you put a gun to our heads, Aaron, if you ask us what the best team in the country is, will we both still say Florida? I'd still say Florida. I certainly would. I, I, I would have thought you'd take uh, your national championship pick in the preseason, Vanderbilt. Yeah, but Florida's been pretty impressive. I mean, they both have. Obviously, Vanderbilt hasn't lost a series. Um, those are two really, really good teams. And I think that this is no offense to the Sun Devils, but those top four teams are at another level for me with the rest of the country right now. Do you agree? I do agree. I really do. I mean, I think those are the four most complete teams. Um, you know, and, and I like all those teams. I think they have a little bit more um, reliable pitching than Arizona State. And, you know, Arizona State has pitched very well this year. you got to give them credit. Um, but uh, to me, they, they're just not quite in the same class as other teams on the mound. Yeah, and that's uh, that, to me, the, the all, all those teams, and South Carolina was the lowest rank of those teams in the preseason of the SEC trio. Obviously, I think we had Virginia a little bit lower. But just focusing on that SEC trio, South Carolina was the lowest ranked of those teams coming into the year. They had the most impressive series win with the win uh, against the Gators down in the Swamp. Uh, But they also had the the most doubts about their pitching coming into the year, and they've really answered a lot of those. Um, Just sticking with those teams real quick, Aaron, uh, how about, first of all, uh, Michael Roth, who just continues to get it done on Friday nights for South Carolina going head-to-head with Alex Meyer, a.k.a. Bubba. And, and Alex Meyer pitched pretty well for Kentucky this weekend. But uh, Michael Roth, I think South Carolina, you know, I think any every pro scout would take Alex Meyer over Michael Roth. But I think you and me and most college coaches would take Michael Roth over Alex Meyer in that matchup. And then, you know, Sonny yeah. Gray pitching like an ace and Hudson Randall pitching like an ace. I mean, uh, all three of these teams have got a guy now that Randall's going on Fridays I mean, that's just an amazing array of Friday starters and three different ways to get it done on Fridays for those three great teams. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Sonny is the classic power pitcher, you know, 93-96 with a, you know, power-breaking ball and, and just comes right at you with, with premium marquee stuff. And uh, Randall's a ground ball guy, you know, a, a sinker ball guy who mixes four pitches very well. And uh, he's just a, a competitive strike thrower who really gets it done. And it's good stuff, but it's not, you know, premium – first round kind of stuff like Sonny has. And, and then you got Michael Roth, who's, uh, um, you know, a, a left-hander who kind of can vary his arm slot a little bit if he needs to. He's got, uh, he's developed, you know, two different breaking balls now. Uh, his velocity has gone up a little bit. And again, he's, he's a, a dogged competitor like those other two guys are. And so um, to me, the thing about South Carolina's pitching that stands out a little bit is, is the fact that uh, after Roth, you know, they, they, they still haven't really stabilized their weekend rotation. I mean, they've had different guys every week now that Neff's been sidelined a little bit, the left-hander, and, and now they've got uh, Colby Holmes stepping forward on Saturday and pitching well. 
Boris Kumis comes back again on Sunday after after spending three days in the hospital this week with an allergic reaction. He pitches well again for the second straight week. Um, you know, so now you know, coming into the year it was it was three lefties. Maybe their top four or five starter options were lefties. Now all of a sudden they've got two righties in that rotation behind Roth. So it's still a fluid situation there. But their bullpen is so good, their lineup is so good, their defense is so good, um, and, and they have so many different arms that they can throw into those starting roles that they've just been able to roll right along. Well, that's the amazing thing. I think it goes back to recruiting for South Carolina because Holmes and Kumas the last two years were two. Yeah, Kumas was the top high school arm in the state last year, if memory serves. And Holmes, if he wasn't the top high school arm two years before, he was one of them. He was in that mix. And those were both guys that, you know, they targeted as really important guys, guys they thought they could contribute, uh, you know, step in on weekends uh, early in their careers. And now they both have. And, uh, you know, th- th- this is not by accident. They had, like you said, they had options and they had depth. And that's what's allowed them to do that. Same thing with kind of in a different way with Florida a little bit, Aaron, because, you know, they're, their offense is a little has shaken out a little bit differently maybe than we thought it would, but they have so many different options offensively. You know, they don't have to, if Austin Maddox or Brian Johnson aren't carrying the offense offensively, which obviously they can, but they haven't all the time. But Mike Zunino has really stepped forward. He's had a tremendous junior season with this uh, hitting streak he's had. And, and they've got other veterans there. Uh, you know, Josh Adams kind of bouncing back this year offensively. And it seems like the, all the, the thing that, you know, all three of these teams have in common is they have plenty of options. They don't just have a plan A. Their plan B is as good as, as, good as a lot of other teams' plan A. Yeah, and, and Vanderbilt, too, is a team that, you know, really they, they've had guys emerge at the top of the lineup that have been really the key to their offense. I feel like uh, Tony Kemp and Anthony Gomez, hitting one and two in that order, uh, have caused all kinds of headaches for opponents. And, you know, those aren't the big-name guys on Vanderbilt. You know, they're not... Uh, Westlake and Esposito and, you know, all these All-Americans that Vanderbilt has, but uh, it's it's Kemp and, and Gomez who step forward. So, I mean, all three of these teams, and that, that's not taking anything away from, from Westlake and Esposito, who've had fine years, and Westlake has six home runs now, I think. But, um, but you know, the point is that all these teams are deep, and, and, and Virginia, right in between those two teams, is similar. But we'll talk about the ACC later. Yeah, sticking with the Southeastern Conference, Aaron, uh, the big series in the West was Arkansas at Alabama. Uh, the Razorbacks, the team that I think had higher expectations coming into the season, um, but still have not, after this weekend, still 0-3 in Southeastern Conference Series. Not sure how that team would be a top 25 team. Well, for us, they're not. And then Alabama, three straight weekend series in Southeastern Conference play, really kind of taking a hold of the SEC West at 7-2 and and doing it with basically a new a new crop of players from last year. Obviously, they have a they're two uh, miniature players, uh, Taylor Dugas and, of course, uh, Nathan Kilcrease. Uh, I'm sure they get tired of being referred to that way, but uh, I'm going to keep doing it. But Nathan Kilcrease is pretty amazing. I mean, 4-1, 180, uh, 190 for the year. Um, but talk a little bit about how Alabama's doing this, Aaron. And it seems like the more they do it, the more uh, they legitimize themselves. I mean, they, they keep answering the doubters is the way to put that, not to use the word legit. But they're answering, yeah. they're answering all the doubts every week more and more as they keep on winning. I think that's true, and, and this is a team that I had a lot of doubts about coming into the season. I thought they were uh, you know, one of the two bottom teams in the SEC West. I, I thought coming into the year that you had four teams at the top that were pretty close, and then Alabama and Mississippi State, to me, were the bottom two. Uh, and, and the reason I thought that for Alabama was uh, you know, they lost. Lost higher infield, and, and that was a really important group of players, uh, offensively and defensively. You know, Josh Rotledge and Ross Wilson and Jake Smith and those guys really uh, accomplished a lot in their careers. And, and I wasn't sure how Alabama was going to be able to replace those guys, but 
you know, they've, they've done a really nice job with newcomers. Austin Smith at first base has, has provided some offense for them, um, you know, and, and so has their, their junior college transfer shortstop, Jared Reeves. He's also played very good defense. Um, you know, and I think it's a, a solid team up the middle. It's a very good defensive team as a, as a whole, um, and, and they're very good on the mound. You know, they win a lot of games, four to three, five to three. You know, those kind of uh, grind them out affairs uh, because they've got good pitching. You know, you talked about Kilcrease, um, Adam Morgan, and, and Tucker Holly make for a, a very solid weekend rotation. Um, they've gotten an answer in the bullpen from Jonathan Smart, kind of a uh, a soft tossing lefty who's pitched very well for him. Um, you know, it, it's it's a it, it's a hard nosed, you know, scrappy kind of team that, that that kind of plays in Mitch Gaspard style. And uh, um, you know, I, I'll be curious to see if they can sustain it because when it comes to talent, you know, I don't think they're quite at the same level um, as as certainly those SEC East juggernauts um, or, or even necessarily LSU. But uh, but I do think they have really good college players. I think they're well coached, and we'll see how they do this weekend at Vanderbilt. I mean, I expect Vanderbilt to win that series, but it would be big if Alabama could at least avoid getting swept, and, and maybe they could steal that series. And with the way they're playing right now, they're playing with a lot of confidence. Yeah, they're playing at the number one team in the country, but like you said, uh, it really just takes they, they specialize in playing these close games and uh, making fewer mistakes than the opponent uh, has been a good formula for Alabama so far. Meanwhile, Arkansas, Aaron, it's going to be another showdown weekend for them next weekend. Uh, as long as you keep losing series, <laughs> you better at some point you got to start winning to get into the postseason. Um, they, they're home to LSU next weekend, and they're home again against Mississippi State. So it's not like they're out of it. But if they don't win those two series, um, even though the schedule eases up a little bit, it remains fairly you know winnable at, at Kentucky, at Georgia. Those are not you know really outside of those top three teams in the SEC. The rest of them are all pretty comparable, uh, at least in my mind. Um, but this is not going to be an easy road for Arkansas to get to regionals if they don't, uh, if they don't start winning because they did not play a great non-conference schedule. Do you think Arkansas can get its act together and, and get to regionals? Yeah, I do because, like you said, when you look at the schedule, I think it opens up for them a little bit. You know, they've survived a little bit of a rough patch here. Or I should say they've gone through a little bit of a rough patch, and you know they haven't played particularly well. But two of those three series were on the road, and they didn't get swept in any of them. Uh, and then the other series, the home series, was against number one Vanderbilt, and it was you know a couple of two to one games and a four to one game, and, and they they you know won one of those games. So uh, they haven't played poorly, um, you know, but really their offense is, has been uh, a little disappointing. I thought this was going to be a pretty good offensive team. Uh, and they've struggled to score some runs lately. They only scored uh, uh, 10 runs in three games this weekend. And uh, the weekend before that, it was, uh, you know, I think four runs in three games. So, you know, th- that seems to be the problem. This is going to be one of the more explosive offenses uh, in, in the conference after seeing him in, down at San Diego State. And, and, you know, talking with Coach Van Horn about him, their, their personnel uh, is very talented. And their pitching looks more un- unsettled on paper. Um, but... Uh, you know, they, they've actually pitched better than they've hit lately. So we'll, we'll see if that changes it against LSU this weekend. That's a big series for both of those teams because LSU is still just three and six in the conference, even though they're the only uh, they're the highest ranked of the SEC West teams in our rankings at number 17. Uh, they won a big series this weekend against Ole Miss. But uh, both those teams really need that series, I think. And I think talking about LSU here, and it's kind of amazing that uh, as good as Carson Whitson has been, he really hasn't been the best freshman pitcher in the SEC, that's that's been Kurt McCune. I mean, Kurt McCune is a lifesaver for LSU. Yeah. Uh, He's just been outstanding on Friday nights uh, for the Tigers all year. Um, my question for that team is, do they have enough help for Mikey Matuk? Because Mikey Matuk is just putting up 
kind of sick numbers this year, uh, new bats or not. Is there enough help for him in that lineup? Because it doesn't seem like that's been a lineup that's been as explosive maybe um, as I think we thought it, had, it, it could be this year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's certainly not the kind of um, powerhouse offense that maybe you're used to seeing from LSU. It's much more based around athleticism and, uh, you know, they've got good speed in the lineup. But Trey Watkins might be the fastest guy in the lineup, and he struggled to get on base. So uh, that's a guy that they need more from, I think. Um, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know how great this offense is after Ma took. It's nice that you've got, uh, you know, the guy who maybe is, is the top hitter in the country right now at this point in the season uh, is the centerpiece to your lineup. But, um, you know, they, they've they've got some question marks after that. There's no question about it. And, and also on the mound, you know, you've seen Kevin Gossman now uh, run into a little bit of a speed bump. Is their Saturday starter, another freshman? Uh, he's he's had short outings the last two weeks, and uh, all of a sudden you look up and his ERA is 5.59, and, and you're thinking, right. what, what's going on with this guy? So, um, you know, that's a team that, uh, you know, I, I think has some things to sort out still. I mean, and it's a big series on the road against Arkansas. You know, LSU can't really afford to to fall further behind. I mean, they had to scrap and and, and grind to to win a series this weekend against Ole Miss, but uh, but they did. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's going to be a very interesting race in the SEC West, you know, like, like we've talked about. For what it's worth, 22,000 fans at those two games on Friday and Saturday for LSU. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Wow. I, mean, I mean, give it up for LSU. I mean, just give it up. That's Those those are amazing, amazing college baseball fans. Uh, Aaron, we've got a question on Twitter. Uh, at least I got one at John Manuel BA. You're at Aaron Fit. Uh, transitions, transitions us to the ACC. We mentioned Virginia. The uh, Cavaliers are 28 and two. They lead the nation in wins and winning percentage. Nipping, nipping at their heels, easy for me to say, is North Carolina at 26 and four, coming off a sweep of Clemson. And Mojo Dev One wants to know what is behind Mike Fox doing a constant merry-go-round with relief pitchers at North Carolina. It seems like guys keep going a third of an inning every game. Aaron, I saw them a little bit this weekend. Uh, the the reason they couldn't on Saturday, the reason he kept on using different relief pitchers was that none of them would throw strikes, uh, especially in the eighth inning. None of them wanted to throw strikes as Clemson rallied, but then North Carolina, uh, you know, held them off uh, offensively. I think they scored uh, four runs in the bottom of the eighth. And then uh, on Sunday, I think again it was kind of a, a whole staff approach. But I think you and I both agree North Carolina has really exceeded expectations this year, and this is tied for the best start in North Carolina history. Not even their teams that went to four straight college World series. I think only one of those teams went 26 and four to start a season. And it's still really kind of, they can almost have a better record than this because it's baffling. They lost that series at Wake Forest, um, which has been a, a scraptacular team this year. I mean, a, uh, not a very talented team, but uh, a, a Wake Forest team that has some surprising wins, winning a series against North Carolina. They scrapped against the, uh, NC State and got a win. They Did they win a game against uh, Florida State as well? Um, it's kind of surprising that Wake Forest has done that, but but North Carolina, I think, better than anybody thought, and now they're going to Florida State on the road. Uh, what do we expect out of the Tar Heels at Florida State? Do they have the pitching and the bullpen depth to go on the road and beat the Seminoles in a series? Well, the bullpen depth is is a strength of this team, and you know I think that's a big reason that that Mike Fox has used so many pitchers. Is he's got a lot of options, and he can he can mix and match now in a way that. Uh, Maybe he couldn't in the past. I mean, it'll drive you crazy going to a game and watching, you know, all those pitching changes. But, uh, you know, he knows his personnel. And, uh, um, you know, I I think they're still maybe trying to figure out a little bit, you know, 
at the back of the bullpen. I mean, it seems like Cody Penny maybe is, is the guy that they trust the most back, back there, but they also like Greg Holt. Uh, he's uh, obviously a veteran guy who's, who's kind of been a moment of truth guy for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think North Carolina is, is, a, is a very solid team overall and, and a pleasant surprise. There's no question they're, they're surprised. I mean, I think even Mike Fox is surprised. You know, he said as much last week when I spoke with him. And the, um, crazy, he, the crazy thing, Aaron, is that yesterday or this weekend, um, you know, when they needed and they couldn't get outs in the eighth inning, they brought Michael Marin in out of the bullpen in the eighth inning um, when Penny and Holt had faltered. And uh, it seems like Holt is the guy they trust most in multiple inning outings. And you, when you saw them in the first weekend of the series, he went uh, two innings on back-to-back days, correct? Uh, that's, I believe that's right, yes. And then, uh, but so he seems like he's their multiple innings guy. I mean, he's pitched, 20, he's pitched 16 games, pitched 25 innings. So they're, they, they're, they like to use him. But then Sunday, in a tight game, in a closer game, I believe it was a tie game at the time, in, in either the seventh or eighth inning, they went to Tate Parrish and Andrew Smith, a pair of freshmen. So it really seems like the, the, the governing factor for North Carolina is righty-lefty, not necessarily experience, not here's our moment, of, this is one moment of truth guy. I do think that they like Holt and Penny best, but it doesn't seem like they are going to shy away from anybody, whether it's Shane Taylor or R.C. Orlin or uh, you know anybody in their, back, back of their bullpen. And that they need to use Michael Marin in the bullpen, they're going to do it because they've moved Kent Emanuel into the weekend rotation. Uh, Patrick Johnson as a really nice senior right-hander, kind of doing a little bit of an Adam Warren impersonation. I'm not going to give him Adam Warren credit yet because he hasn't gone like 11-0, but he's 6-0. And then uh, you know they just got Chris Munnelly kind of back on track this weekend, starting him Sunday. Meanwhile, Clemson, Aaron, um, a team that you and I have not agreed about for several years for whatever reason, and uh, and they're now two and four in weekend series. Uh, does Clemson have a chance to miss regionals for the second time in four years? Or do you think the Tigers are going to right the ship here? I do expect them to right the ship still. I mean, again, this is a team uh, that has gone through probably the hardest part of its schedule already. And you're looking ahead. It's a home series against Maryland. It's at Boston College. It's home against Wake Forest. And then you're home against Georgia Tech. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to play Georgia Tech, you, you want it to be at home. And, uh, you know, I, I think I think they have a chance to run off some wins here. I mean, that's said, it, you know, it's it's not as good as a, of a Clemson team as you would have expected. I mean, they uh, they haven't been very good on the mound. They've been really bad defensively. I mean, this team's fielding 959, uh, and, and it starts with John Henson, who's got 11 errors. He's fielding 800. Uh, that's awful. You know, J- Jason Stoltz fielding 897. I mean, you, you know, you can't – you just – it's hard to win when you have consistent infield defense, especially now where every run is precious. You can't give away opportunities. Um, and, and on the mound, I mean, Scott Weisman, their ace, has a 7.36 ERA. Uh, you know, it's pitching and defense. you got to do those things now more than ever, and, and Clemson hasn't. So I, I still like their offense. Uh, it hasn't been as explosive as I expected it to be, but uh, I suspect they'll start scoring some more runs now as the schedule opens up. And then at the top of the league, Virginia and Georgia Tech, both 11-1. and one. Georgia Tech takes its first defeat of the season uh, at Duke. A little bit of an upset there. But we have UVA at Georgia Tech next weekend, Aaron. Uh, I mean, how good – is that as good as it's going to get in the ACC this this year? 
It's a it's a good one. You know, uh, obviously, it's it's a great series. It seems at this point that uh, those four top teams, UVA, Georgia Tech, UNC, and, and Florida State, are all in pretty good shape to host regionals. Um, and and you know, Tech and and North Carolina are the two teams that maybe we didn't expect to be in that mix heading into the year because. Uh, you know, in Tech's case, as we've talked about all year long, they're very young positionally, but their pitching is really good. And, and uh, um, you know, I've spoken with a couple of people who've had very high praise for that staff, uh, comparing it historically to staffs they see in the ACC. Um, it, it's amazing to me that, that uh, you know, the, Duke, the game that Duke won was Saturday when Jed Bradley was on the mound on the All-American and, and the potential top 10 pick. But, um Boy, that's going to be a great series this weekend. And the way UVA is playing, though, I think they're playing at as high a level as anybody in the country. Um, they just destroyed Virginia Tech this weekend after throwing a perfect game on, on uh, midweek against George Washington from Will Roberts. Uh, UVA is doing everything well. They're playing the game very, very well in all phases. Um, it's going to be a great, great series. Yeah, I agree with you as far as UVA's level of play. Uh, we're going to have to wrap up a little bit tighter this week uh, than we have been in some past weeks. So let's hurry up over to the Pac-10 and the Big 12, Aaron. We're just going to stick with the big conferences this week. Um, in the Pac-10, you know, the biggest series, it seems like on paper for me, was Oregon State and, uh, well, Oregon, I guess, getting swept by Arizona State. Um, not good for the Ducks, who continue to uh, you know not be able to put things together this year. And then uh, staying... In the state of Oregon, I don't know what state there, what their nickname is as a state, um, but sticking in that state, uh, Oregon State getting pounded on Friday, but then rallying to win that series at Arizona. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the Ducks and the Beavers. Uh, you know, can the Ducks rally? They have not. Talk about a team that's kind of a, dis- a bit of disappointment. Uh, 14 and 12 overall. Uh, they've, you know, they, they just seem like they haven't quite. And they're, they were supposed to be a pitching and defense team. But they just don't seem like they score enough runs. Uh, what's what's the answer going to be for Oregon? Boy, yeah, they've been disappointing. I mean, at fourteen and twelve, uh, all of a sudden, you know, they look like a, a, a bubble team. They're a team that has to get going fast because there's not a lot of you know margin for error in the Pac-10. Uh, losing that series last week at, against against Wichita, actually they split that series, I should say, at Wichita. Uh, um, against Wichita at home, excuse me. They still don't but, have a good uh, that series one, win though right now. They really don't. That's right. That's right. I mean, their best series win might be, you know, BYU, um, which isn't really a regional team at this point. I mean, maybe, but uh, yeah. I mean, Oregon's been Oregon's been a disappointment. It's a team that we expected a lot from, um, and you know, they, they've had a little bit of trouble getting some of their their big name arms going. You know, I spoke with Andrew Checkett, the pitching coach, a couple of weeks ago about what's wrong with Scott McGuff, and you know, Scott McGuff, their closer, has has shown great stuff this year, and he's just a just not quite been able to put it all together and, and get out as consistently as he has in the past. His stuff's been even better than before. Um, you know, so he's a guy that they need to get back on track. Um, they have gotten good pitching from Tyler Anderson and Madison Bohr for the most part this year. Those guys have been very, very good. But like you said, offensively, I mean, it's, it's, it's back to what it was two years ago. They're hitting 229 as a team. Um, it's just, you know, we expected them to be more physical this year with some of the new guys that they brought in. Certainly they've missed, uh, uh, Stefan Sabol. I mean, right. you know, his, his injury has hurt. Um, he, he's, he got off to a good start and, uh, and then he got hurt, you know, and, and I think he's back now actually, but, uh, um, yeah, he's only, you know, he's only got 20 team... at bats. I mean, the, the, that guy yeah. between Sabol, Caressa and Ryan Healy, we thought they were going to have three new impact bats. Well, Sabol, uh, like you said, has been, has been banged up, only has 20 at-bats. 
Healy only has 32 at-bats, hasn't really been a factor, and Caress is hitting 197. And then Jack Martyr, who was their big freshman a couple years ago, he's hitting 200. He hasn't, so they just haven't gotten going offensively. The guys who we thought they would kind of build their offense around, Cerna, you know, a, a top-of-the-order kind of table center, table setter, Martyr, Caressa, uh, Sabol, Healy, none of these guys are really having good years. So, th- yeah. that, you know, those are the guys who are supposed to be the reason that they would be, instead of a scrappy, just enough offense, to being a good offense. So, like you said, I mean, when you're when your closer's struggling a little bit, A, and your offense is not kind of uh, performing the way that you thought it would, uh, that leads to 14 and 12. And, and I'll throw one more thing out there. You know, we thought Oregon would be one of those teams that would be really good and benefit from the new bats because they're pitching a defense and manufacture runs. But, you know, I, I talked with Terry Rooney last week about the UCF's team, and he still believes it's important to build your team around these strong physical guys, you know, even if they're just college physical guys, not necessarily pro power guys, you have to have strength to hit with these bats. And and maybe Oregon just doesn't doesn't have enough strength in their lineup. It might just be something as simple as that. Yeah, that's uh, that's as good an explanation as I've heard, Aaron. And then Oregon State, the O State ballers, yes, they ballin. Um, you know, Mitch Cannon, I believe, uh would be proud of his club. I mean, he, he would be happy with any team that bounces back from getting pounded on Friday night like they did at Arizona to come back and win that series. Um, and th- things do not get easier for them. I'm just looking at their schedule at home against Arizona State, at Stanford, home to Washington State, really the only series in this stretch where they're going to be favored, at UCLA, home to Cal. Uh, first off, we gotta we got to talk about Cal. But second, I mean, but let's finish talking about Oregon State. What are the Beavers doing right to put them, uh, you know, get them back up to 19th in our rankings? Well, you know, for one thing, they show a lot of resilience this weekend after getting pounded on Friday, uh, making five errors, and you know they had their ace Sam Gavilio on the hill and gave up six unearned runs, uh, ten runs overall. You don't see that coming. A lot of teams might have been shell shocked, but Oregon State, I think, has shown that. Uh, uh, it's uh, you know it's it's a it's a resilient group and and they came back on Saturday they they swung the bats well they actually got some power you know a couple of three run homers uh, Josh Osage continued to pitch well for them I mean I think this is a pretty good pitching team uh, and unlike Oregon you know they've actually hit some you know they've they've had guys take those big steps forward like Andrew who Sam talked about and Danny Hayes is a is a really good hitter um, and, and you know Carter Bell had a nice weekend I mean it, I think I think they're they could be a similar team to Oregon, except their guys have performed. I mean, it's that simple. They've hit and Oregon hasn't. Um, so that's why they are where they are. That's a, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, they, they're, they, they're similar teams, only they've performed better. They've done, they've done better. I think you're right as far as their talent level goes. Um, real quickly, Aaron, uh, Conference USA, uh, the big news there, Southern Miss going on the road to Central Florida, which have been playing very well. Sweeping a series, Golden Eagles seem like that's a that's a conference still sorting itself out. You got Rice trying to get back on its feet, Tulane that's been really floored by these injuries, Central Florida trying to get over that hump, uh, but really seems like Southern Miss is the team that's put itself forward. Outside of a series loss to Troy, it's really been a great year for the Golden Eagles. Yeah, it really has, and uh, you know that's a team. I think we talked about them last week. I mean, I like their. Uh, they're veterans on that team, you know, the seniors like uh, Todd McGinnis and Colin Cargill, bookending that pitching staff. Bay Valmies had a really big year. Uh, Mark Bourgeois had a huge weekend for them. Um, you know, he's another senior guide, physical DH type in the middle there. Um, this was a little bit of a statement week for Southern Miss, I think. You know, 
winning a midweek game against Ole Miss and then sweeping a road series against the UCF team that was really hot and had just won a road series of its own against Rice. Um, I think USM kind of made a, made a statement and, and showed that it might very well be the team to beat this year in Conference USA. And and you know I still like I said I still believe in Rice. Um, and until you know someone else actually knocks Rice off at the end of the year, I'm still going to take Rice. But you, Southern Miss is right there with them, and right now looks like the best team out there in that league. And then in the Big Twelve, pretty much chalk. Uh, Oklahoma's gotten back on its feet. You've got uh, Texas playing a little bit better. You know, still, still Texas. They're still going to win a lot of close games. Uh, <laughs> they are. They are who they are. Uh, Texas A&M pitching very well. I guess uh, the big statement this week was Oklahoma State. I should say Oklahoma State in back-to-back weeks. First, they go, they come into our rankings, uh, but they've won series against Texas and now at Nebraska. They have the series loss against Kansas, but really Oklahoma State kind of taking that step forward and trying to get back into regionals after the really bottoming out last year and. Uh, with Coach Frank Anders, I think it's safe to say uh, that if you don't win in the Big 12 in baseball, you don't stick around. He needed to win this year, and what's what's been the key for that team turning things around and getting back on a winning track as a program? Well, for one thing, they pitched a lot better. You know, they they uh, weekend rotation has been very strong. Um, Brad Probst, in particular, has been a revelation for them. Um, you know, Mike Strong, the lefty. Uh, as a guy that we'd like to come into the year after a good summer in the Northwoods League. Um, he's he's pitched pretty well in general. He didn't, didn't pitch great this week, but you know Randy McCurry came in and gave him four strong innings of relief. He's a power-arm guy to anchor that bullpen back there. And then they've got the great freshman lefty, Andrew Haney, who, again, didn't pitch well this weekend, uh, only two innings, but uh, in general has pitched well. So uh, I like this team on the mound quite a bit, and they've hit. you know, I mean, and they really hit this weekend. That was actually the key at Nebraska was their bats. Um, you know, especially Davis Duran and, and Mark Ginther, these upperclassmen, um, really swung the bats well, hit for some power, uh, hit some doubles. You know, it, it's a it's a team that's got a little bit of home run pop up and down the lineup. They, they use the gaps well. Um, you know, I think they've got some experience in that lineup. I mean, I, I think it's a, a team that I had as, as kind of a borderline regional team coming into the year right there, you know, with Nebraska, maybe Kansas State as kind of teams that you could see sneaking into regionals uh, depending on how things went. And, and right now it looks like they're on track. You know, Aaron, this this uh, this week, uh, this year, I should say, my NCAA tournament bracket. I tried to use age and experience was going to be my uh, that was my tiebreaker in games. I was going to go with a more experienced team because I just thought that it was a wide open field. I was going to go with the experienced clubs. Of course, I, I still didn't pick Butler, which is ridiculous. But it seems like what you're saying is that for the bat, there's a common theme here with the bats. The older, more physical, stronger teams are the teams that adjust to these bats better, and that makes sense. I mean, that's. That's who adjusts well to wood. You have to have strength to swing with wood. If these are bats that perform more like wood, it would make sense that the, if you have more strength in your hands and forearms, you're going to hit a guy like a Nick Martini here you're getting ready to talk to uh, from Kansas State. Uh, was he reached base in 87 consecutive games? Is that what I thought I read on That's your right. Twitter? 87. That's an NCAA record. And he's not a guy who's a big, strong guy, but he does have strength in his hands and his wrists, forearms. He, he swings the bat. He swung the bat with authority since the, the day he got to Kansas State, so is is that fair? Should teams when they're when they're filling out their brackets this year in college baseball uh, do the John Manuel, uh, which didn't work uh, in basketball? I picked Notre Dame for crying out loud because they were so old. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, would that work better in baseball with this with the more experienced, the older, more veteran clubs? You know, quite possibly. It's you know at this point, it's it's such a new era in college baseball. It's really hard to know what's going to play in the postseason. I mean, I still think you put UCLA in a regional with Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer and Adam Plutko. 
you can be pretty dangerous. You know, they might score five runs all weekend, but they might go three and zero. I mean, it's it. Who knows at this point? I mean, it's. Uh, I do think that uh, having having strength and, and experience in your lineup matters. We I think we've learned that much, but pitching still matters too. And most of the teams in our top ten are are really good on the mound. Last but not least, Aaron, what on earth are they doing at Cal? I mean, really, what on earth <laughs> are they doing? How much do they have to string this process along? And how stupid does this process have to get before they just make a decision? Cal, I mean, yeah. I think everyone knows, if you're listening to this podcast, you believe that Cal should have a baseball team. I mean, hello, it's Baseball or Baseball America. But they've raised $9 million. They seem like the administration there has talked out of both sides of its mouth uh, all the way oh, along. It is brutal. I mean, I guess what I'm wondering is, is there has there been anything, you followed a little closer than I have, Is there any? are there any signs of concrete, that if they raise this million dollars in the next two weeks, that they will keep their program for forever? Or is it going to be for four to five years until the next time they get run down? I mean, what's your gut feel on Cal baseball's future? I think they're going to find a way to get that that last, you know, I think it's less than a million dollars they need. I think they had, they had more than $9 million raised. And the chancellor, who has got to be just driving everybody crazy, uh, told them, no, that's not enough. You need to get to $10 million. I mean, I don't know what – I don't want to go off on a tangent of this guy, but he seems like a piece of work, John. I'm just going to throw it out there. I mean, hey, you're, you're, you know? a Cal- you're a California taxpayer, so you're paying his salary, so you can say whatever that's you right. want. That's right, doggone it. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of this guy, you know, and, and – uh, uh, it seems like he's he's just you know he's moving the target. He's jerking these guys around. You know they've done almost everything he could possibly ask for. They've they've raised incredible amount of funds in a short period of time, and it's never enough. It, it's it's disgusting, I think. But uh, you know from what I've read, he you know he's he's told me you've got two more weeks to get to ten million dollars, and that'll save you for I don't know what the period is five years or something like that. Uh, they need to be fully funded for the next uh, five to eight years, something like that, uh, and then they need to during that. That next year, he had come up with a plan for long-term sustainability. But um, you know, the Save Cal baseball guys have worked really hard, and, and you know, reading the quotes, they sound really frustrated, as they should. Uh, but uh, uh, I think they're almost there, and I do think they're going to get there. And, and, and once they save it, um, you know, you have to imagine. Hopefully, the economy will pick up at some point in the next decade here, and uh, <laughs> I suspect they'll escape. They'll escape danger, kind of like Virginia did after they, you know, were in a similar position um, at the start of uh, what was it? The start of this decade, last decade, start, it was, John. It was, it was ten years ago. It was two thousand one. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're. That's a great parallel. Those schools have a lot of similarities, and uh, I know it's a great parallel. And here, ten years later, UVA is number two in the country, leading the country in wins, and they've been to the College Series. And you know, Cal, you can do it too. So I'm hoping that uh, the Jeff Kents and uh, all those guys. I, I think a lot of the newer alumni. Have, have have donated. I'm I'm hoping that let's get Josh Satin to the big leagues or a couple of these other uh, recent Cal alumni in the next two weeks so they can make larger pledges to keep this program <laughs> going. I mean it's just ridiculous. It every time I read the story, SMH, it's shaking my head. So uh, on that fine Twitter note uh, where I try to sound hip, we'll wrap this podcast up. <laughs> Go talk to Nick Martini, Aaron, and uh, we will be back next Monday with more college baseball talk for Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 